The Watch is the latest and the greatest in pop culture from best friends Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. Join them as they discuss TV, movies, music, and much more. Check out The Watch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by USAA Homeowners Insurance. USAA has homeowners insurance that could lead the league in assists. Serving our military veterans and their eligible family members, USAA delivers award-winning service and peace of mind. And if you file a claim, the process is transparent and easy, and you can do it all right in the USAA app. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. So last night I watched the Mavericks beat the Lakers 109-104 in Los Angeles. Westbrook bricks seven jump shots. LeBron didn't box out on a critical rebound. Vogel had more questionable lineups. It was all really more of the same problems for the Lakers, but I want to open today's pod with some quick thoughts about this LA collapse because the thought I couldn't shake last night was, to what lengths have the Lakers really gone to try and save their season? We know they didn't make a trade. We know the reaction to that. Unhappiness on the LeBron side. The Lakers want to be patient this summer, being able to trade two first-round picks in the future. And right now, the team is collapsing, though. So what I'm talking about is more the stuff behind the scenes. Does Frank Vogel want to be fired? What the hell are with some of these lineups? Austin Reeves gets no minutes after that third-quarter run. No Stanley Johnson. No Kent Bazemore after they helped bring the Lakers back in the game. Does Vogel want to get fired because he knows this is a sinking ship and this is his only way out? Has the coaching staff for LeBron James himself made any effort at all to appeal to Russell Westbrook to stop shooting jump shots? They got to use reason and emotion with him. Or have they? Has LeBron done that? Maybe the coaching staff has too, but he just won't stop shooting anyway. Russ is shooting 33% outside of the paint this season. 33%. That's the second least efficient of the 60 players to shoot at least 400 jumpers. Of 60 players, that's the second worst behind Julius Randle. I genuinely cannot understand how that player is taking seven jump shots in a must-win game against a playoff team. Russell Westbrook has been one of the worst jump shooters in league history. How's that happening? Has the Lakers coaching staff quit? Is LeBron not willing to be that honest with Westbrook about his deficiencies and how he can help the team? For that matter, why is LeBron not playing with heart and hustle on defense like he was earlier in the season when he was really impressive as a small ball center? I was blown away by what LeBron did. You remember David Fisdale when he was freaking out post-game about us not appreciating LeBron, about how this dude just played the five for 48 minutes? That version of LeBron James is gone. What happened? Does he want a long summer? Has their relationship tarnished? Does he know something about 80s injury recovery that we don't? These are the questions on my mind, and I suspect that there's 
way more to this collapse than just Russ sucks, they're old, AD's hurt. This team is broken, and teams don't break that easily. So I'm thinking about, like, there's a lot of great reporters covering Clutch, LeBron, and the Lakers. I bet we're going to find out some of the truth from some of the questions I have, and I hope we do, because I really want to know why it seems like the Lakers have given up when, think about the most optimistic outcome for this team. You're LeBron James, you wake up in the morning, and you're thinking about how the Lakers can win the championship. You're in year 19, age 37. You know the clock is running out. You know it. So how can you make the most of this team? You look in the mirror in the morning and you think, we have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. An eight-man playoff rotation probably includes Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Carmelo Anthony, and then either Kent Bazemore or Dwight Howard, depending on the matchup, and maybe both in some nights. So you get a bot in LeBron, healthy AD, a restricted Westbrook who's not shooting jumpers anymore, that team isn't the favorite, obviously, but in a plan, those Lakers, they could win one or two games to get into the playoffs. And against the one seed Suns, what if Chris Paul's thumb issue takes him into the playoffs like it was reported it could? Another injury to Chris Paul in a series against the Lakers is not out of the question. Against the two-seed Warriors, what if Draymond Green doesn't have a smooth recovery from his back injury? Against the Grizzlies, we know what can happen to young teams in the playoffs. If you get LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook playing to each other's strengths with some shooters and energy guys around them, who knows? But we know that's not going to happen. The Lakers have folded. It's clear. It's obvious just watching this team. You saw it happen last night. You've seen it a hundred times this season. The Lakers are done. But there was a version of this team that wasn't a mess. A team that had stars that enhanced each other's games. A coaching staff that experimented and wasn't so stubborn. A front office that was willing to make big moves. There was a version there. There was a version that didn't include trading for Russell Westbrook. But the version of the Lakers that we're watching have straight up quit. I just can't wait to find out why. Hey, thank you for listening to The Void. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and we have a very special guest today, Jason Maples, who you might know from NBA Twitter. He's a coach at Contra Costa College. He's a podcaster, co-host of Temple of Hoop. Jason is one of my absolute favorite <laughs> Twitter presences. This guy always tweeting about the Lakers and the Pelicans. So there's no better guest to have on this morning after the morning of a Lakers collapse, a loss to the Mavericks. Than Jason Maples. What's going on, Jason? How you doing today? What's going on, man? Appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. The Lakers right now are the nine seed, nine games back from Denver for the six seed. So they're stuck in the plan right now. They're four and a half games back from the Clippers, for that matter, at the eight seed. So they're probably going to have to win two play-in games to get into the postseason in order to actually make it, assuming they get into the play-in. They're only up two games on the 10 seed Pelicans and the 11 seed Blazers. So the Lakers could actually miss the play-in entirely. They've lost 10 of 13 games. Jason, what was the most inexcusable moment from last night's Lakers loss? You tweeted about it with LeBron. Just, just for me, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been the same general thing for me. Um, they start out, they're okay. The other team makes their first run in the Lakers crumble. Uh, happened the Pelicans game. Happened this game. It's happened a couple other games. In the second half, the team lets the you know foot off the pedal a little bit. They make some you know spirited comeback only to fall short. They just can't put together a, a full game. And it's kind of disheartening when you consider the, the amount of age on that team. 
they should be way more mentally tough with the players on that team, but they're they're not. And um, it's just uh, this is probably one of when you compare expectations to what actually was has a court on the floor. This is probably one of the worst Lakers seasons in recent memory. You know what I mean? As far as the expectations versus, you know, what really happens. Is there any hope for this team? Any hope? This season? No. no. Any chance? No. Because, no? Because, Why not? Yeah, because, Why not? Like, with the most optimistic viewpoint is, you know, LeBron it, it is continuing what he's doing. AD gets back healthy. Okay. Russ stops shooting jumpers. So is there I, any hope? I'll tell you the, like optimo- the most optimistic viewpoint for them. They win the playing games and they draw Golden State. You know, they play small. The Lakers have AD. Um, the Warriors' weakness right now is kind of defending the paint and rebounding. You know, you get a, a rested AD who has recovered and, you know, you make that a really tough series, get into a, you know, a game six, game seven and see what happens. But even that, like that, then that's like the absolutely most, you know, sunshine and roses uh, view I can give you right now. Russ last night, late in the fourth quarter, he he had he had this play that made me happy. He uh, LeBron, I think, was posting up, and LeBron and uh, Russ cut to the basket and finished with a dunk inside. And it's like, damn, more of that from Russell Westbrook would be a nice thing. Because last night he shoots five of seventeen. He took seven shots outside of the restricted area and missed all of them. And four of those shots annoyed me in the first quarter. He had a, he didn't pass after bringing it up past half court shot, uh, uh, off 16 seconds off the backboard, five seconds left on the clock at the end of the first, no rim protection inside. He pulled up for two and bricked it. And they did the same exact thing at the end of the third quarter. And he looked so frustrated with himself after that. But the most frustrating one was when he pump faked a wide open three pointer to dribble into a slightly less open pull up two. And he was still open because he doesn't realize the defense is saying, we dare you to shoot. At this point, teams are Russell Westbrook beats you shooting jump shots. Other teams going to shake your hand at that point. They just I think other coaches have made their decision, and it's just made life rough on everybody else on the floor. You know the Lakers play like so many guys. You don't have to defend outside the key. It's like a really a retro early two thousands lineup. It's kind of funny. It's like old. It, it old does basketball. feel like that. <laughs> it really does, right? It feels like two thousands at times with certain lineup configurations with the spacing, but with Russ, like. 5 of 10 is a lot better than 5 of 17. Uh, to me, Russell Westbrook's improvements, if you get back those seven plays, or at least four of them, three of the shots I can't get mad at, but four of them, if you take back those four possessions, you don't know how different the game looks if he's driving on those or passing on those. And I, I think about, I was thinking about this last night. How has LeBron James not had a heart-to-heart with Russell Westbrook? How has he said to Russ, dude, we need you to just stop shooting jumpers. Because I would assume the coaching staff has had some conversations like that. But as the leader on the team and as LeBron James, one of the greatest players of all time, I feel like if you're doing everything you possibly can to try to save this season, is, isn't, isn't that one of them? Like, how has that not happened? There's a thought on my mind. I mean, how, how do we know it hasn't? You know, it's just one of the things being on the outside. We, we, we hope it has, but, you know, man, you hope... You know, they've had team meetings. You hope the coaches have said something. I, I will say, you know, last night was a bad example. I thought in general, uh, Westbrook had stopped with the pull-up jumpers. I mean, it started back up lately, but I thought for a minute there, he did stop with the, mm-hmm. with the pull-up jumpers. And I think the Lakers still weren't winning, so he just was like, man, forget it. I just got to be me. <laughs> and But, yeah, I just, I think they probably have. I think but a lot of teams, you know, you don't like to air that stuff because it's bad for the locker room. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they have. I, I think I, I would hope they have <laughs> had conversations about the play. 
You would hope so. I mean, like, you know, with Vogel's lineups, uh, I wonder if he's just trying to get fired. Like, he, if this is his way off a sinking ship. Um, the rust stuff, uh, it's frustrating to me. Like, what, from behind the scenes, what are some things on your mind that you hope we find out from like a Windhorst or a McMiniman or Shelburne, Woj? You know, like, you know, what are you hoping we find out about? I mean, it's, it's been not frustrating, but just kind of funny to me. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, we step back. It's a sport, right? We love it, but it's a sport. So it's not like, you know, life altering. But I think the thing that's been funny to me was um, everything's been about assessing blame, everything has been leaked. It's all about whose fault it was, whose fault. Nothing about, you know, how to fix it. And I think that's just, you know, the bad part to me, man. It's just everybody's in, cover your tail. You know, I don't want to take the blame territory. When in actuality, I think it's everybody's fault, you know, uh, from the top down. It started out, you know, I was one of the Lager fans who, who was wrong on this. I completely miss, uh, you know, uh, underestimated the Caruso thing. Like, that was a microcosm of a huge problem. Um they had every opportunity. Caruso gets his offer from Chicago, goes back to the Lakers, offers to take less, but because of the luxury tax, you know, they say no. So you lose a very good player. Um, his defensive metrics and the high test speak for themselves in Chicago, like with on and off with him on, the, on and off the floor. So you lose that guy, which obviously you need looking at the Lakers defensively at the point of attack and in rotation. Um, he's a decent shooter now, but that goes back to the Lakers being cheap. So that's an issue, right? Um, again, you go with the, the Westbrook trade, which is, you know, Rob, LeBron, AD, they apparently had a meeting with the guy. We don't know whose fault it is. People keep saying different things, but in acquiring Rush, you give up four, three or four tradable pieces who had value around the league. You needed to shore up the margins, right? Kuz has value. You know, Trez has value for a team. KCP has value for a team. And you come off a first to get him. So that's four assets that could have been used to address whatever issues would have been wrong with the team. You know what I mean? So there's the genie being cheap. Rob in the clutch making bad uh, basketball decisions. We'll go with these lineups. You know what I mean? And then on top of that, even when AD was playing, him and LeBron aren't locked in every night. You know what I mean? They, they're, they're coasting sometimes, not giving the, the requisite effort on both ends to get things done. So all that added together, you get where you are now, fighting for your playoff life. Plus, on top of that, the injuries and COVID. AD's on and off the floor, a lot of COVID. Kendrick Nunn hasn't suited up a guy you signed who's going to play a big part of what you were doing, hasn't suited up yet. So those five issues all together, and here you are, 27 and 34, fighting for your life. It's it's wild that this is the version of the Lakers we ended up getting. Right. I, mean, I, it's just the, like I, I, I said earlier, the, the, as far as comparing the expectations to reality, this is one of the most disappointing <laughs> Lakers seasons in the last decade, I'd say. No doubt about it. Like even more so than like the Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, <laughs> Kobe Lakers, right. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that, 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 yeah. I mean, it's right up, right, right around. This the, is going to be fun, right? <laughs> the article that, that I never forget that cover, man. It's a classic cover, but like it is more disappointing than that because I don't know, man. I, I I think about this Lakers team, and and granted, I've never been super high on Russ. I've never been a big Russ guy. There was a version of this team that worked better if just one of those things was better. If they had health. Right. <laughs> if they did, if they made a certain trade, if Genie Bus and Lakers ownership wasn't cheap, you know, because I, I talked about last week on my pod with Jason Concepcion, he's he brought that up. He's like, with the Lakers, people assume because they're the most valued franchise oh, no. that they are no. swimming in cash. But the Lakers are that their business is the Lakers. 
you know, they, they, they're not like selling oil. Yeah, right. <laughs> or like, you know, they're, they're not business tycoons. The Lakers are their family business. Yeah, I There's found that difference. out a couple of years ago. People were, I was talking about somebody, the Lakers signing these guys. And not, uh, I remember I was talking to somebody, they should just, you know, they should just wait for AD and keep the kids. They were like, no, they're not going to pay all those players because the Lakers aren't as, yeah. as cash heavy as uh, people think they are. So that's when I learned about that. I mean, that's what's going to be interesting this offseason because you have like, Brian Windhorst said on his pod, the Hoop Collective, uh, last week, I think it was, he's like, a lot of smart people around the NBA are talking to him about, you know, maybe they should trade LeBron and AD instead of trading Russ and their two future first-round draft picks in 27 and 29 to get something else. Like, maybe pull the plug earlier rather than, rather than trying to make it work with this team that's dysfunctional and flawed, which I don't agree with. Yeah, the thing, but that's well, why some people say that. I mean, you know, on a video game, maybe, right? But in real life, here's the thing. Do that with LeBron James. You already had a, a, a drought trying to get star players for X amount of years, right? You treat LeBron James like that, and it's hard to convince another superstar to come in his prime, which is, which is mm-hmm. the Lakers' way of doing things. I think it has to change, but it's, that's what they do. They buy their time. When a superstar becomes available, they throw the whole L. This is L.A. This is the Lake Show life at them. Luke is going to be the next one. Right. Luke is going right. to be next. So if they, if they want to keep that, keep that M.O., you can't do that to LeBron unless he asks. You absolutely can't do that. You got to just 100%. ride it out and try to make the best with him. Because if your M.O. is going to be, we get the stars here, you can't treat them like that when they get here. You got to ride it out. 100% agree with you. 100% there. And, and, and like if LeBron asks, that's a totally different conversation. Right, exactly. So AD asks, only if he asks. It, it's a different thing. And if AD did ask, I mean, look, if, if LeBron asks, I'm sad and disappointed yes. and pissed off if I'm, <laughs> if I'm working for the Lakers or a Lakers fan. But if it's AD, you know, I don't know I'm, I'm intrigued. You know, like, like you get something great back in return for him. But the funny thing is the inverse of this is the, like trading Russ and they're 2027 and 2029 first. When I talk to people around the league about those picks, they're like, those picks are going to be really, really valuable. Like, if you're projecting teams that are going to suck in 2027 and 2029, you're projecting that the Lakers are probably going to suck because an older AD or he's gone, no LeBron, unless they learn Luka, you know, unrestricted in 2027. Well, on top of that, hey, they still got Genie being cheap and Kurt Rambis making decisions from the shadow GM box. I definitely want that pick. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Being a big market team doesn't prevent you from sucking. The Knicks have sucked for decades. The Lakers had dark years, as you mentioned. And, you know, 2027, 2029, those picks could actually be very valuable. But I'm still not sure, you know, like you, t- you talked earlier about the Lakers and the decisions that they've made that led to this point. One of those is not being aggressive at the deadline when they could only trade the 2027 first. Um, but, like, waiting until the summer, if you if you offer... Let's say you call up Sam Presti in OKC. I don't think you're getting Shea Gildas Alexander for oh, no, no, no. Russ is expiring <laughs> with the two future first. Like, like the picks are valuable, but they're not yeah, that yeah, valuable. Yeah, that, that. You know, so like I, I'm not sure what's actually gonna be out there for the Lakers. So, so here's in the my years thing. Here, here's my thing about that the deadline issue. Um, this is one of the few things I was kind of with Palink on because my thing is. If you trade for, you get off Russ Snap first, right? You get John Wall, who we haven't seen play in two and a half, three years. And Christian Wood, I think that was like rumored to be in addition to it. But you lose THT and that pick along with Russ. Um, how much did you really improve? Did you really close the gap on Phoenix or Golden State or Memphis? Like, you have to really evaluate that and say, 
we can try that just to say we did something and then shoot ourselves in the foot for down the road. We actually have a chance to retool. So I think the Lakers probably weighed that. And we're like, I don't think anything closes the gap this year on those teams. So it may have been a punt on the season, which, you know, you kind of, you don't want to hear as a fan, but you look at it, you know, logically, you understand why they didn't make that deal. Yeah, uh, I understand. I mean, there's there's certainly logic to waiting to be able to deal both those firsts rather than just one of them. Like, I, I they, think they yeah, the, this, one thing for sure, that team's going to look completely different next year. Like they are. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's coaching. I'm talking coaching on down. I'd be shocked if this team doesn't look totally different yeah. last year because because <laughs> because like how how do you not how do you not change a team that has LeBron James that has quit like this team this team has just straight quit when you watch them play and and, and, and you know you, you think about like. The great teams, like just at the top of the West, Suns, Warriors, Grizzlies, those three teams, you said it earlier, from ownership to front office to coaching staff to players, it's connected. There's an aligned vision. The Lakers don't have an aligned vision at all. He, he, you know, not in one bit. I, th- I think I think somebody made a great point. Shout out um, OG Ricky G on the timeline. He said he's a Warriors fan. He said the biggest thing, the difference he recognizes in the Warriors and the Lakers is you may not even agree with everything that the Warriors have done but they have a basketball philosophy. Like there's a flub, there's a type of player or a type or a, a type of individual they want on their team. The Lakers don't have that. It's more so we're just gonna throw things at a wall and then hopefully it sticks around these stars. But those the Lake the Warriors have a basketball. Like last year they got away from it. They just sure they're back to you know high IQ guys that can pass, guys that can defend, and they got right back in there. They didn't have those guys in Ubre and Baysmore last year. But they have them with, they replace those guys with, you know, Otto Porter, good shooter, passer, Iguodala comes back, defender, passer, high, Q guy, right in line with like what their core values are as an organization. I don't think the Lakers have any core values as an organization. I think that's kind of the, 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 the elephant in the room right now for their, what they're trying to do decision making wise. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Golden State, like, granted, they've lost some games recently, including last night to Minnesota. They lost 129-114 to Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns went off for 39 points on uh, 22 shots. And Minnesota right now, I mean, they're three back from Denver for the sixth seed and a playoff lock. They're six up from the Lakers for the nine seed. So, you know, like the Wolves right now, they're they're in a great spot. And as I talked about with Chris Vernon on the mismatch on Tuesday, you know, this they just need to figure out how to get stops on defense while yeah. maintaining this elite <laughs> offense yep. right now. And Cat, yep. like Cat had 39 points last night, 22 shots, 11 free throws. Looney wasn't quick enough to stay in front of him. Nobody could stop him on the post. And I watched that thinking, you know, Cat's Cat's playing free. He's dominating here, but here we go again because it's not the first time this season that a big has dominated the Warriors, is it? I got to upset some Warrior fans um, because around the trade deadline, I was like, the Warriors get a big here. They can really put themselves in, you know, it might cost you a a Moody or or a Wiseman, guys who might be really good down the line. 
but you can pretty much submit yourself as the favorite if you get a, you know, even a Miles Turner, right? And maybe Wiseman does project to be better than him down the line, which is obviously what they weigh. But, you know, I think standing Pat may have really, you know, hurt the Warriors down the stretch, especially if Draymond's back. The you know, back injuries are always iffy. Mm. That's a lot of pressure on Draymond to come back and bang with, you're talking about possibly, you know, Cat, Stephen Adams, and Jay Triple J in Memphis. And then in the conference finals, you know, Aiden, right? So that's a lot to put on Draymond off a back injury, plus a rookie kid in Wiseman who has no experience in games that matter. Um, so I, I think the Warriors made a mistake holding on to uh, standing pat with the 15 they have because they love their young guys. Uh, they might be good down the road, but I think, you know, you got a, you got a top 15 player ever playing still at the peak of his, near the peak of his game and not going all in at the deadline, I think may have been a boo-boo on the Warriors' behalf. But right now they're going with Looney and they're just playing small the rest of the game and they're just getting ate up inside by Tate Zubak putting 2010 up. Zubat's had a big game, man. Like it was, it's not, it's not just Jokic, it's not just Cat. It's, it's like Zubat. That's the scary part. It's just any team with a center that can, you know, walk and chew bubble gun at the same time. It's like, you know, you can be skilled and all you want, but at the same time, this game is about advantages and height is one of them. You know, you're closer to the basket. That's rebounding. You know, that's rim protection. That's easy buckets. You know, throwing the ball inside, and I think it wears the Warriors down. You know. And they're late. They're tired late in games. They're working really hard all game to to come up to overcome the size disadvantage they have. So, we'll absolutely, see. absolutely. I mean, I th- I think you nailed it when you talked about like how it accumulates over the course of a potential postseason, like first round battle and Zubats. Maybe maybe Warriors win that series, you get by. But as it adds up, second round conference finals. That's a that's a lot to ask from Draymond Green to handle all of that, considering everything else he does on defense, like Draymond. Is the is your defensive quarterback? He is the guy who runs everything, communicating, speaking more words than anybody. He has more responsibility than maybe anybody on defense in the entire league. Does this? It is it necessary for James Wiseman to be competent for the Warriors yes. to win the finals? Yes, I think he's got to be. Even if it's just you know, fifteen, ten to fifteen minutes a game. You know, even if it's just because in that at, at that you can you know limit Looney to maybe twenty minutes. You know, James plays his 10 to 15, and then you can fill the rest with Draymond, you know, it, just to ease his load. But he's got to be able to give them something in, in 10 to 15 minutes, even if it's just, even if they got to dumb down their offense a bit while he's on the floor to make him more comfortable. But defensively, they just, they need him to, to be a deterrent and rebound and just, you know, not let opposing centers have career nights. And I just, I, if I'm the Warriors, I'm, I'm just, I know they don't care about the home court, but a second round Memphis series, man. If you look at the, the this year and last, the way those teams play, Memphis, for some reason, they match up pretty well with Golden State. They got a superstar that, you know, in his mind, feels he's, you know, equal to Curry, which he might be this mm-hmm. season if you look at him play. Mm-hmm. They got guys <laughs> that beat you up inside, which is against what the Warriors, you know, the Warriors' weaknesses. Triple J somehow got a tough, got some toughness this year. Um, Adams is, you know, you know what he stands for, you know, as far as, you know, toughness and rebounding and setting screens. And then they got Bain. Dylan Brooks is going to come back. So that second round series is going to be, you know, man, if I'm the Warriors, I'm I'm not looking forward to that. That, That's a long series in my opinion. Just hearing you talk about the Grizzlies 
Are they an under, under are they an underrated finals contender? Yes, I think I, I saw somebody you on think the so? other day I said it's Phoenix Golden State and maybe a, a beat behind is the Grizzlies. And that's just because of experience. Are they ahead of the Nuggets with Murray and Porter Jr.? That's a great, you know, because Jokic is, Jokic is going to be the last couple of years. And that, that dude is something we've never seen before. Um, but thing is, next year, probably not, because I think those guys have to catch a rhythm first. It's tough to come. All right, I got three weeks to get ready for a playoff basketball. You know, that, that's only, but next year, and I tell us about next year, the, the, you think the West is tough this year. You got Kawhi and PG coming back full strength, and you got Jokic getting, you know, high-level players back alongside with him. And he's still carrying that team to a playoff berth. So it gets even more hectic next year. You mentioned the Clippers getting Kawhi and Paul George back. They got a win last night as well against the Rockets. Four, four and a half up on the Lakers now, which blows my mind. Yeah, that's... They're, they're up by so many games on the Lakers. But, like, this team, this roster, aside from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, this is, this is a team that's ready for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You know the Lake, the Clippers. If they were to get them back in April or sooner with George, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, you mentioned like not a lot of ramp up time for the Nuggets with Murray and Porter Jr. And that would be also true for the Clippers with George and Kawhi. But I can't, I can't shake the thought on my mind if like they do get those guys back. Like surprise, Kawhi's back, right, right. And and then they're running out lineups of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Robert Covington, Morris Batum, like five guys who are six foot eight, six foot nine that can defend multiple positions and rebound. Like, oh my God. Yeah, like again, like we just talked about, you know, Clippers have organizational value. They have an archetype of player they like. They know how they want to build their team. Ty Lue, I need switchable wings. I need guys I can get to the rim. I don't necessarily need a point guard, but we got guys I can penetrate and kick will move the ball well enough. Like, they have uh, a style of play they want to build around. And I think, you know, going back to the Lakers, they just, they don't have that. But the Clippers, I think Ty Lue, um, it's him and Spolstra for me for the best coaches in basketball, in my opinion. I agree. And I just, you know, when Ty Lue's done with that group this year, you got your 50-plus points out the lineup every night and still, you know, being competitive over 500 in the playoffs and just competing every night. You know, they rarely get blown out. They're in every game. It's just, you know, the lack of talent or close. They don't have a closer right now, per se, even though Randy Jackson's clutch numbers are insane this year, which is kind of hilarious, yeah. given where Kawhi was looking at him funny in a bubble a couple years ago, but his clutch numbers are... And, <laughs> it's amazing how much Reggie Jackson yeah. has changed since that moment. <laughs> yeah, but you know, guys get in the right situation, you know what I mean? They, 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 they adapt, so... Yeah, man, the Clippers, I think if they had Kawhi and PG, they, they'd probably be the favorite this year. With the, the favorite? Yeah, with the continuity the they have coming back. They'd be the why, why is that? I think the continuity... They have would have had coming back. Not a lot of roster turnover. Um, I thought Kawhi was playing like the best player in basketball before he tore his ACL. That playoff run was just insane. Insane. It's yeah. like 60% shoot. It's mostly on jumpers. And he still gives you not maybe quite what he was defensively in San Antonio, but still, you know, damn good on that end. So uh, even like eight eighty percent of peak Kawhi on defense yeah, exactly. is still one of the better defenders <laughs> in basketball. Right. right. So <laughs> You know, I thought I think the Clippers would have been the favorite this year. They had, you know, they had the great coach, the, the superstar player, the number two, and a bunch of shooting. I look at their spacing numbers from last year. Like Kawhi and PG were both in the like ninety plus percentile of spacing around. So when they beat you and you double, they, they, that team just made you pay last year. They shot the ball so well. I don't know anything about the potential for a return. I don't know anything, but. 
I can't help but wonder if, you know, everything's always quiet around Kawhi Leonard. I can't help but wonder if there's actually a chance he does come back and it just comes out of nowhere. We get a random Woj bomb in late March or Shams tweets about it. Like, like I just wouldn't, would that surprise you? Like, we get something out of nowhere. Kawhi might come back in two weeks. It wouldn't surprise me because he signed the four-year extension. And he even said it before the season. Right. He's like, I signed the long-term deal because if I signed the one-year deal, I wouldn't come back because then I'd sign the five-year mag. Like, he 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 said it. There's no financial danger for for, you know, getting hurt again and missing. So I think if, if he can, he'll give it a go. So on the other side of that uh, Lakers loss was the Mavericks win. I, I want to talk about Dallas real quick because uh, we do have this new look team. They trade Chris Stapps, Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie uh, and Davis Bertans. Those, uh, ben Dinwiddie last night had an okay game. Bertans was 0 for 4 in 10 minutes. Uh, what's your evaluation of this new look Mavs team and how it has impacted Luka? So I've seen two games. I saw the whole entire Mavericks Lake Mavericks Warriors game uh the other night. And then I saw this one all the way through. Um Dinwiddie he played very well against the the uh, Warriors. But I think he didn't shoot it well last night, but what he does do, he takes such a load off Luca with the ball handling. And it's weird because people see Luca in the NBA and say, you know, oh that's hard and you know he has it out of time. If you listen to him talk and how he plays in you know in, in his country, he doesn't like playing that way. Like he wants to give the ball up and have other guys. He can. He just hasn't had that. But I think now with Brunson and Dimwitty, uh, I think that's what he wanted. More ball handlers, and I think this made Dallas more dangerous. You know, Bertans is up and down with his, you know, with his shooting, but that team defends under Kid. Kid's got them defending down. And I think with those ball handlers, it's just there'll be there'll be a beast to play because Luca is going to be the best player on the floor in, in, in a lot of series he plays in, even if the team isn't on par. And I think that in the playoffs, it, it you know, closes the gap when you have the best player in a series. And I think that's why Dallas is, even though like those Clippers series, Clippers had a way better team, but Luka was, you know, outplaying Kawhi for, for multiple games in the series. And, you know, it's 2-2 going to a swing game five, right? Kawhi has to go for almost 50 to, <laughs> to get him off his back. So it's just that they're going to be a tough to play just because the Luca factor. He's just that amazing. You mentioned how amazing Kawhi was playing in those series. That's what I'm I mean, saying. Luca <laughs> averages 31, not 10 and 9 in 2020, and then the last year he averages 36. That's what I'm saying. Eight, yeah, and de- de- I mean, like it's it's nuts what what he was doing in that series, and and he'll probably do it again, if not even better. Uh, this season with the amount of spacing he has around him with the kind of the reoriented lineup. I, I just, the, the way he maestros a game, like just slows it down to a tempo, I'm going to get the look we want. It's just, you know, it's eerily reminiscent of, of LeBron, you know, controlling the tempo, like the little old, older age LeBron. We're going to slow down. No, I'm going to take you in the post here. I'm going to get this pick and roll here. I see a weakness. I'm going to get that shot or put that guy on an island. It's just like, He's just very scientific with with how he plays offensively at times, especially late in games. It's just like it's beautiful to watch. Why is it beneficial for Luca to share the ball with other guys like Brunson, Dinwiddie, uh, who can create for him rather than just him doing everything Harden style? Um, I think because as you saw, I'm glad you brought the name of Harden up. I think it's because you know you wear down over the course. You know, a lot of James Harden's playoff. You know, foibles can be, you know, reduced down to fatigue. You got a guy, you know, 35, 36, 37 percent use over a whole year and into the playoffs. 
you know, you think your team start keying on you every other night. You know, I think it wears you down. So I think having other guys who can do stuff, you know, it's kind of that less is more theory. You know, we'd rather have Luca do less and then he can close games for us. He can give better effort on defense, which he's doing this year, which is the big thing for me with Luca this year. Definitely much better defensively than what we've been used to over the last couple of years. Um, so I think that's why it's, you know, it's beneficial to have other ball handlers on the team. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. USAA is insurance that could lead the league in assists. That's because bundling auto with home or renter's insurance saves you money. USAA understands the needs of our military, veterans, and their eligible family members. And they've got great rates and insurance options to meet them. See how much you can save. Tap the banner to learn more and get a quote at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. rapid fire questions one question for each team that we haven't touched uh the wizards beat the pistons 116 to 113 kyle kuzma had another strong game you mentioned him earlier when talking about the the russell westbrook trade with how good he's been he had 21 21 points nine rebounds six assists he's averaging 22 10 and four since late december over 27 games so this isn't just some you know short-term streak here why why is everything clicking for kuzma I just think natural progression. Um, you know, his rookie year, he got a lot more touches, but then obviously, you know, you get LeBron James, you know, he's the best, best player, you know, best player in the world conversation. You're going to, you know, usage is going to go down. But I did think, you know, watching LeBron, you know, he did learn how to play. Obviously, he works on his game. You know, he's developed. Um, he's not a guy that's going to be a spot, not comfortable being a spot up shooter, which is what his role was with the Lakers a lot. But the thing is, you know, with, you know, with more opportunity comes growth. They did hit. They, they started off hot, hit a rough patch, but I think he's starting to, you know, stabilize and find out who he is as a player, which is, you know, it's good to watch. You know, he wasn't my favorite Laker, you know, but I, <laughs> I did respect the the sacrifices he made and the leaps he made defensively to make himself a championship role player. So, you know, you got to respect that. Kate had twenty points in that loss. Uh, he's stringing together a, a better stretch here and a little bit more consistent. Uh, what is Cade's ceiling? Is he is he all NBA guy? Yes. Is he multi time all star. All, yes. all NBA guy. All NBA guy. Uh, fringe multi time fringe MVP uh, community uh, consideration. I think he's that good. Why? Well, what's the why? Well, what do you see in Cade's game to see that level of upside? When you have a guy who's legitimately you know six seven six eight with point guard vision can shoot it. It's just a matter of, you know, the experience and they get better pieces around him in Detroit. And I think it's just, I, I saw it in college. So that Baylor team shut down everybody. Everybody. They played K to Oklahoma State with no other pros on the team and he put them down twice. It's just, you know, moments like that. It was like, okay, he's got it. And then I see him late in games, even, you know, in Detroit, you know, he's taking games by the horns, directing traffic, getting guys where they need to be. I think, he grows like the more he grows getting used to NBA speed the biggest thing for guards I think is getting used to the speed of the game and I think once he you know you know grapples with that the sky's the limit I still think he's number like people like Mobley is great uh, I love Jalen Green still even though the not not shooting it great Scotty Barnes I still think Cade is the best player at, at the end of the day here so we'll talk about another one because the Raptors beat the Nets 109-108 and Scotty Barnes made winning play after winning play in that fourth quarter. I mean, he's a rookie 
but plays like a veteran, kind of like Cade. Cade plays older than his actual age is. What, what's what's Scotty Barnes is sailing as a player? See, the basic thing everybody does makes the any wing that shows they, they the lazy thing is to say Kawhi, right? That's everybody says with these wings who who show stuff early. But I'm thinking for for Scotty, man, he's just got a real OG thing to like not OG, but just like an OG. Like on a, on a, the old guy at 24 hour fitness, like just knows how to win <laughs> whatever it takes to win. He like has that vibe to his game. You know, I, I love watching Scotty. I'm trying to think what, what's a good comp for him. Um, that's not Kawhi. I mean, Ra- Raptors fans, Raptors fans, uh, the most optimistic Raptors fans say, how about like a less athletic Giannis? That's what the most optimistic Ooh, Raptors fans say. Man, when I uh, like, uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I try to stay. I, I try to stay away from all timers, man. That's that's. I know. That's scary. I know. That's scary. I know. Like John Giannis is an all timer, and his development was exactly. different in itself. But I'm seeing maybe some Iguodala, you know, with the defensive two way, like a, big, a bigger version of him, yeah, maybe. like maybe real like smart, that. heady, makes winning plays. Maybe not. That maybe won't be your 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 leading scorer, but be your second or third best player and be like a, a connector. You know, I can see like you want to hear some dumb comparisons that I had in my draft guide for Scotty Barnes. The Draymond Green was the first one, which I think makes a little bit of sense. Defense. Pascal Siakam was the second. Makes a little sense. Big jumbo-sized ball handler. The third one, this is the dumb one. I said, taller and bulkier Michael Carter-Williams. Really dumb. That was like a a worst-case comp. But like, if you think about it, though, uh, a six-foot-eight 240-pound Michael Carter-Williams. That's a better player. That's not a a bad player. That's not a bad player. That's pretty good. But yeah, I think, yeah. But Scott, I think... um, yeah, because I thought, uh, well, they weren't going to take Suggs because of the, you know, they got, they just paid Fred. So, but I like, I like, I like Scotty, man. I like, I like a lot, the, the whole top, the, I like the whole top five, honestly. Even though Jalen's, uh, you know, Suggs isn't playing great. I like the top, I like the entire top five of his draft. Me too. Uh, I agree. I still think Suggs is going to turn out to be a good player. Just needs to figure out the scoring. Uh, on the other side of that is the Nets. They're four and a half games back from the Celtics now for the six seed. Three up from the 11 seed Wizards falling out of a play-in potentially. They're going to get Kevin Durant back on Thursday night, we're being told. Uh, multiple reports say that. But over the next week, the Nets have games against the Heat at home, then road games against the Celtics, Hornets, and Sixers. In one week, what's more likely to be the conversation, Jason? Nets in danger of missing the play-in or Nets making a late push for a playoff lock for a top six seed? What's more likely to be the conversation? Uh, I think they're actually going to stay in that play-in spot. I don't think they'll fall out. Uh, I think when KD gets, so it stays right in the middle. They're not going to yeah, push I think they're either gonna way. Stay in the in the playing spot. Um, you know, anytime KD's on the floor, you have a shot. He's one of those guys. It's got to get him. You know, stand on the floor. Uh, I, I don't know Ben Simmons' situation. I know he had a setback with his back recently. That's that's going to be a big key. And you know, the mandates are. Uh, I'm sorry, the mandates still keep Kyrie out of home games. I think even with the changes, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I- that's that's what we understand. Yeah, that's right a now. tough play. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, I'm a pro, I'm pro vax guy. But you know, oh yeah, I'm 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 triple triple vaxxed. Uh, I wear my I wear my, I wear my mask in everywhere. You, you know how it is in California. But it, it doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm like, no so he sense. can go to the games, but he I guess the when he plays, his breath becomes more copity. I guess, but I just. He can he can sit in the stands right. and go buy a popcorn right. and a beer and walk around without his mask on and sit down at the stands without his mask on. That's okay, but he can't be in the locker room with twenty guys and coaches. He can't sit on the bench. He can't be on the court. Which it is the stupidest rule. It makes no sense. Right? They need to change it. Like it it, it just makes no logical right. sense. So I think None. you know. So I just got to get everybody. I, I love the Nets when they're healthy. 
but you know, we were just talking earlier with the with the Nuggets and the Clippers. You know, there's something you know to be said about the ramp up time. You know, guys have got to you know get rhythm. Obviously, continuity is going to be needed. But you know, Ben's a big piece, a big part of what they want to do. So he's going to have to you know get acclimated playing with KD. And then you know the Kyrie situation. I, that's crazy. He might not be allowed to play home playoff games. They got to change that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm operating as if uh, I said this like two three weeks ago. I'm operating as if Kyrie will be a full-time okay, player. Okay, okay. That's just the I, way I'm thinking about it. Yeah. There's just too much momentum in that direction for them not to change that rule in there. It, it just doesn't make enough. Not that not that rules or laws make a lot of sense, you know, nationally, internationally. Uh, this is one that definitely doesn't make sense. Also, last night, the Celtics beat the Hawks 107-98. Jalen Brown turned his ankle three minutes into the game. And as of recording Wednesday morning, we don't have news on that as far as I've seen. Um, with his condition, but assuming he does get back healthy from that, are the Celtics finals contenders? Fringe. 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 Fringe, but my thing is... On, when, on the bubble? and in, in the Memphis category? Like we talked about earlier? Maybe slightly Memphis behind Denver? that. Okay, that's when fair. When you defend like they, they have been the past couple months, and you have a closer like Tatum, like, you're, you're tough to play. Because you, you got a superstar who has no problem, you know, taking the reins of the playoff game. Uh, at home or on the road, uh, you defend like nobody's business. Um, you know, the East is, the East is going to be a bloodbath from round one. But imagine you Chicago, you do all this, you know, surprise team of the season, end up with the second seed. Uh, congratulations, you get to play a fully healthy Nets team in, in round one. God bless. You know, <laughs> you know, so it's like it's so, it's so shitty, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're the Bulls or whoever ends up right. the one that the two seed, probably because the Nets probably get the seven. Like, man, <laughs> that's that sucks, dude. <laughs> like, you want to be in the, you probably want to be in the four or five slot, but this is why you can't play off. You can't plan for seating though. Yeah, because you, play. you, you could say play. we want to be in the four or five, but like the Nets could end up the eight. Like, you just got to play. It's so nice with the play-in. I, I love it. it. It makes it so much better. And then the Hawks, the Hawks are only a game up on the Wizards right now. They go to the East Finals, and they're only a game up on the Wizards. Like, they could slip out of it. It's not impossible. Yeah, I think the East is just the East is just really rough right now. It's just that I think it's that that pendulum might be. I remember the the West was you know the Marines and the, and the East was ROTC for me. I think the gap is closing. <laughs> I remember the East. I remember like there were like thirty five win teams getting the AFC these for me. It was crazy. And now we're at a point where the Hawks are on the fringes of actually missing the postseason, and it's deep. Like there's a lot of good teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, Last team I want to discuss here, Jason, is the New Orleans Pelicans. We got some news this morning. The Pelicans announced that Zion Williamson has had some improved bone healing with the fifth metatarsal in his right foot, and they're going to gradually progress to full weight-bearing exercise and basketball activities. But the last line in the report from them is Zion remains out indefinitely, which is too bad. I mean, we'll see if he's able to get back this season. I look at the Pelicans this year, man. And I'm watching the way they're performing after the acquisition of CJ McCollum. Larry Nance could come back soon. You got Brandon Ingram playing the best basketball of his life, defending like he was back in LA, playing hard. And the playmaking improvement, in addition to the scoring ability, he's just a complete guy. So one of the things I'm wondering about is when Zion returns, he's returning to a better Ingram. He's returning to CJ McCollum. And with Ingram, his passing progression 
How has he evolved in that way since he was a young player with LA? I think the big thing is, like even up to last year when he got better at it, he would have these predetermined notions about what he was going to do before he drove. And I think the biggest step for me is he's playing the moment as, and that's very hard to do. It's very hard to do to you know, make that split second, you know, decision like defender comes, go here. But I think he's doing a great job of when he drives, not having his mind made up. I think that's a big step for anybody to become a great playmaker. I think that's the step he's taken this year. That's a great way to frame it. Driving, you know, attacking the basket without having your mind made up. You know, you're not you're not going in with this with thinking I'm going to score. You're just going in. You're just driving. It's a process kind of. It's a process oriented mindset rather than results uh, with what you're going to do in the end. And I mean, I think what you just said about Ingram similar to me and CJ McCollum. Like he's not a playmaker. He's not a, a pass first guy by any means. But I think he's a slightly better, a, a much better playmaker than what people are giving him credit for at the time of the trade. People acted like CJ McCollum is, is a ball hog. He's not. McCollum can pass the ball a little bit. Yeah, he was playing. He was playing off a of game. He's played off a yeah, game. He's so he's playing a off a game. <laughs> exactly. And now he's being more of a playmaker. Well, what's your been of your evaluation of CJ McCollum since the Pelicans got him? Just great. I and mean, even the intangible stuff. You know, talking to guys said he took Bi out for some wine. Like Bi had a rough first couple games. And he took him out. You know, they had some wine. And he was like, you know, th- this is your team. You know, let me fit in around you. Like, saying stuff like that. Um, you know, even going to bat for Zion, who he hasn't even met, you know, face-to-face yet. You know what I mean? Since he's been a Pelican. I just think he just filled a really big leadership void off the court. And on the court, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, just amazing. Uh, I think the PPP is, like, near the top of the league since he's been the, the, the Pelican. It's, it's crazy the efficiency he's been. I think just... He's just freed up Ingram so much. Like the, when teams trap Ingram, they're, they're being made to pay for it on the weak side right now. So he just getting these one-on-one situations. He's just tearing the team apart. Um, defensively, it hasn't been great, but it's better than I thought it would be. I thought that would be the big, humongous hurdle, like defensively. But, you know, Herb Jones, you know, covering a lot on that end. <laughs> um, so I think they'll I, I love think, Herb Jones yeah. so much, man. You just saying his name brings a smile to my face. <laughs> you know, he'll be on all NBA defensive teams his entire career, probably be after this year. Oh, yeah. um, so I just love what you know he's bought CJ's bought to that to that team from a leadership and you know on the court effectiveness standpoint. Just you know, I mean people were complaining about the cost and his age. And I'm like, you know, Ingram's in his seventh year, still hasn't made the playoffs. You know, Jonas is 30. You know, they just extended him, you know. At some point, you just can't keep kicking the we're going to rebuild thing can down the road. You got to get players that are going to help now. And I think that's, you know, what Griff did successfully. For sure. No, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think this Pelicans team, they're, they're ready for Zion. Yeah. They're just ready yeah. to take him on. Like you have, you have your scorers slash playmakers, shot creators, and CJ McCall and Brandon Ingram. You know, you mentioned Steven Adams earlier, how how tough of a matchup he'll be for some centers in the playoffs, but he wasn't the best fit. Yeah, that was Zion. my thing. I, I never said Adams couldn't play. I just thought the fit alongside Zion, in addition to Not having ideal. Ingram out there, it's just, it's just the spacing was terrible. And it just was. Valentunas yeah. is a way better fit. Yeah. Like he can space, he's shooting 38% from three on multiple attempts per game. He can spot up, pick and pop, he can feast inside too. Like Valentunas is just a way better fit for Zion. And then, then Herb Jones. 
Herb Jones is so important because he's taking the opponent's best player, regardless of position, which alleviates the pressure off of Brandon Ingram from having to do it, and alleviates the pressure off of CJ McCollum from having to defend anybody on the perimeter. He can he can kind of do his thing off ball. So you bring Zion into that. If he were to come back either this by the end of the season, which we haven't heard anything about that, about that possibility. But if he did, you're talking about a starting five of McCollum, Ingram, Valanchunas, Herb Jones, and Zion. That's a team with size, scoring, all five players can create because that's the thing that's underrated about Herb Jones. He can bring the ball up the court for you. He can attack a closeout. Yeah, that's what I love about Herb. Pass. Herb attacks closeout and he's, he's so attacking good. in transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just, you know, and I think that... Feels I like think, a complete team, doesn't it? I, and I thought Nance was like filler and wasn't going to play this year. Like, you talk to Larry Nance, he's like, no, I can't wait to play for the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, when he people talk to him, he's like, I'm, no, I'm trying to get back out there this year to play for the New Orleans Pelicans. Even he adds a little bit of versatility you know, a small ball five, the, the switchy defender, you know, so... I Tony think, Snell shooting too, for that matter. That's like funny. Snell's like, they got Tony yeah. Snell making shots. I think, and I think over the All-Star <laughs> break, I think, you know, Willie Green, you know, got to shout out him for, you know, not letting the team sink after a 1-12 start. He made some very good uh, lineup adjustments over the break. I think two of them was, you know, one was pushing Devontae Graham to his rightful role, which is a six-man. Uh, Devontae's been much more effective coming off the bench. He's just not, a, you know, not really a starter. I think the other thing is, you know, taking Garrett Temple off the rotation because he just wasn't making any shots or wasn't defending. So I think <laughs> those two things have just made a ton of, you know, a ton of impact these you know, first couple of games after the All-Star break. They definitely made some adjustments. Do you think they're going to be a play-in team even without Zion? Like, do they hold on to the spot? They're currently the 10th seed right now. I think so. You know, let's say the Lakers hold on to nine and they pass the Lakers at nine. So they're tied with the Blazers at 10. The Spurs are one and a half behind. That's like what it is right now. Um, I think Portland, Portland's schedule is hellacious the next couple of weeks. A bunch of contending teams. So I think Portland's going to oh, yeah. fall off. But I think, you know, you know, Popovich doesn't believe in tanking. So the Spurs will be right there. So I think that'll be their competition ultimately is holding off the Spurs and, you know, trying to catch the Lakers. But I think they'll make it. It'll, it'll be fun to see them play in, in a game of meaning at the end of the season to see what happens. So that, that'll be fun to watch. My last question for you. Uh, how about them Cowboys? Why? See, you almost got hungry. <laughs> Come on, man. No, I, I, you know, my therapist has finally allowed me to, uh, you know, move forward. I still will be wearing all black on football Sundays. Going forward. <laughs> you know, the healing has not, is not all the way done, sir. So, I, you know. Kaius has one question. Is keeping Zeke Elliott over Amari Cooper as uh, it seems like they might do? the right choice you know for jerry it is because you know zeke sells a lot of uniforms but you know it's just i I hate it because you know you don't want to devalue the human being but if you look at the value of the position of the running back no good team has a high paid running back on the salary it's just it's such a dependent position with the offensive line the quality of the quarterback you know so you just need a passable guy there who can get you, you know, four to five yards a pop. You don't need to, you know, <sighs> don't even get me started. I mean, they like Tony, Tony Pollard. That's know, what, that's what I'm saying. For, like, you know, for, for the Cowboys. <laughs> and on top of that, you know, they pretty much run Zeke into the ground this first six years. So there's just a lot of trend. He's like over 350 touches a year for five straight years on top of that. So it's just, you know, I'm not looking forward to that. I'm not looking forward to next football season. I'm, I'm telling you that. So you're a Lakers fan, a Cowboys fan. What's your baseball team? Do you have a baseball team? Seattle Mariners, man. Seattle oh, Mariners. Oh, nice. 
Hell yeah. I I, I love the Mariners. The Mariners, it's funny. I grew up a Red Sox fan, but before I was a Red Sox fan, I was a Ken Griffey Jr. fan. It's funny because everybody right? says, oh, you like the Lakers and Cowboys. Who do you like the Yankees too? It's like, no, I hate <laughs> That's the joke. That's the joke that I get all the time. But no, I hate, I, I hate, the, Yankees. I hate the Yankees. It's, okay, good. Ever since I saw I saw Ken Griffey Jr. take a swing, I just, I've been a Mariners fan ever since. I saw like, okay. like in the, in the yeah. mid-90s. It's like, that's been my squad. Is they have not yeah, made the not each made the come in after that. Oh yeah, each real comes like, in after no. after K- yeah, exactly. It's some good teams. Remember, remember Felix Hernandez when he was nasty when he was coming in. Man, I just I hate that. He's probably the best pitcher who never got the pitch in the playoff game. It's crazy how they did how they wasted his whole career. He's probably the best pitcher ever who never got the pitch in the playoff game. That's insane. I, I don't think I realized that he never pitched in, uh, until this moment. I just pulled up his baseball reference page. He never played in the playoffs because I, I kind of stopped watching baseball in the early nope. 2010s. I didn't realize nope. he never. Mariners had the longest playoff drought in American what? professional sports. Longest playoff drought in American professional sports. NBA, MLB, NFL, hockey, it's the Seattle Mariners. Longest playoff drought in professional sports. They missed it by one Damn. game this year. They almost made it. Oh wow, they were ninety and seventy-two this year. How do, how does ninety and seventy-two miss the playoffs? How many ninety-win teams in baseball history have missed the postseason? The, the, the AL was a bloodbath. Didn't they also expand the postseason and the Mariners still missed? Yeah, they added a team. They missed. Wow. But they said this year. I guess if they ever get that together, they're going to expand to twelve teams. So, well, let, let, let's hope, let's hope they do. Right. Uh, Jason, Jason, I love this conversation with you, man. <laughs> this is fun. Oh yeah, it's dope, man. I love talking to you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate you coming on the board. It's all good, man. Thank you, Pat. You can follow Jason Maples on Twitter at JJMaples55 underscore MST. I love Jason's feed. It is very enjoyable on basically a nightly basis. A big thank you to him for joining The Void. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing this week's episode. And thank you to you for listening. If you really enjoyed this episode, please pass along the link to a friend who you think might like the show. That really does help. And also leave a rating and review on Spotify or Apple, wherever you're listening to your podcast. That really does help the show. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you on Friday with Chris Vernon, another episode of The Mismatch. It'll be back next Wednesday with a another episode of The Void. Have a great week.